The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash the Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANDIDFRAME at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This is X, and this is The Candid Frame. Being laid off from work can be a traumatic experience. Economic uncertainty, especially several years ago, can lead to feelings of anxiety and fear. Yet, as we've heard several times on this show, those same moments can be moments of opportunity, a chance to transform one's life. That's the case with Elias Weiss Friedman, who is the photographer behind the popular Instagram feed and blog known as The Doggist. After being laid off a job as a brand strategist, he took to the streets of New York with his camera. His subject matter were the dogs of New York City. His singular focus has resulted in over 2 million followers on Instagram and a book called, of course, The Doggist. Friedman is an example of how reinvention is possible today in the age of the internet and how one's passion for photography can be transformative for both the photographer and the viewer. Well, Elias, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to have you on, on, on the show. Uh, big fan of, uh, of what you've been doing on your on With the Doggist. Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to it just recently, and uh, uh, it's been really fun. I mean, Jesus, you've taken so many photographs of dogs. It's hard to know where to start except from the most recent image. But, yeah. Um, I, think, I think the number is 10,000 dogs I've photographed. 10,000, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you started this during a time when you, in which you were unemployed. That's right. And I, I was kind of curious to, is to find out what were you doing before and what led you to pick up the camera and start making pictures of, of the dogs you encountered? Sure. Um, well, I think I've always been a dogist. Uh, you know, growing up, I was photographing my own dogs, Ruby and Matilda. They were black and chocolate labs, uh, and we had a dark room in the house. My dad was a hobbyist photographer, but, you know, my parents were physicians, and I didn't really see a, a career in being a photographer, an artist. So I grew up, I went to school, moved to New York, and worked in brand strategy for a while. But I think I've always sort of been an artist at heart, and uh, that's sort of, you know, I, I wasn't so passionate about what I was doing in New York, and sort of... Uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was uh, laid off from my job, and that's was sort of the break I needed to get back into, you know, pick up my camera again. What's what's a brand strategist? Uh, helping big companies tell their story. So um, you know, we look at what other brands are saying and and doing, and we position them advantageously amongst their competitors. That's my. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, and uh, so you know, HP won't find. American Express, and that I think I learned more in those two years about 
you know, messaging and how to keep your brand's message simple and focused and relevant. Um, and I think that helped me uh, in creating my own brand, The Doggist. Tell me about your, your initial images. Um, you said you'd always, you know, had an affinity for, for dogs, but how did this turn from being sort of the occasional snapshot of a dog into something, something more substantive? Well, I think any photographer is looking to create something dramatic or capture some, some moment in their work. And dogs are extremely expressive, right? And they're very candid with their expressions and you can tell exactly what the story is based on the way they're looking at you. You know, they're scared, they're happy, they're unsure, they're curious. So I always liked that about dogs and I, I thought no one was really telling the story of dogs the way that I saw that it could be told. You know, everyone, there's so many people photographers, and you can be successful in doing that, obviously. But who was really sort of capturing dogs uh, as if they were people? You know, if you sort of get what I mean. Yeah, I got it. You tell the story of a, a one particular image that you, that you made early on that really had an impact on you, in which you came to understand the value of, uh, of a singular image. Uh, can you tell us that story? Sure. Well, there, there are a lot of images that sort of have had powerful effects on me, but I guess one was this dog called Pudding, which was a pit bull that had some trauma to her eye. And the owner was talking about that the dog had been a victim of breeding abuse. But this was very early, early on in the project. And up until then, I had sort of thought, oh, this is fun. I get to take funny pictures of dogs and people will enjoy them. But Pudding sort of opened this new perspective for me, which is that dogs have all types of stories, and images can, can make you happy and sad, and, and, but there's a beauty to both aspects. Uh, so that's sort of where I came up with my mission statement, which is, uh, you know, or, or the, the, describing the project, a photo documentary series about the beauty of dogs. And since then, you know, I've... I've encountered so many different stories that are, you know, largely happy because dogs walking around as pets are happy to meet you and everything. That's sort of what we love about them. But I go to shelters and see dogs that are from all different backgrounds. And it's sort of a piece, a part of my project that no other project has really tackled, I think, and captured about dogs. It's that sort of some projects are entirely about adoption and it can be a little bit depressing and some are entirely about funny, you know, pictures of puppies. And I think what's special about the doggist is that it's, it's full spectrum. It's, it's ups and downs and sort of what the way life is. Yeah. One of the other stories that I was thinking about uh, that you experienced early on was when you had taken a, a photograph of a dog and, and soon after it passed away. Yes. And yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's another one. Uh, I was in LA and I, encountered some some teenager, some kid with his dog and sort of got the photograph and went about my way, went on my way. And then a few days later, I get an email from the, the, the kid's mom saying that the dog had unexpectedly passed away and that the photo had, had provided some solace in this in this time that they were mourning the dog and that this sort of quick moment that I had had on the street had changed the way that they, you know, were experiencing this 
huge life event. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of have to appreciate that and, and realize that any moment you have with someone can have a huge impact for them later, especially if it's a family member, you know, their yeah. dog. It must have been interesting to, to see something that you were doing primarily for yourself initially mm-hmm. gain such um, a response. I mean, when did you start getting a sense that what you were doing not not just was gaining an audience, but was really resonating with people, that people really had, you know, strong emotions about the pictures that you were making? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I, I think I knew from the first post, from day one, that if I was consistent and that this was something everyone wanted, you know, it's, uh, you know, people are, are shy around cameras, but they're always put their dog forth. Oh, yeah, take a picture of my dog. You know, they, that's half the reason people get dogs is to, is to connect with people. But yeah, it, early on the project, you know, it was getting traction because I was photographing dogs whose owners were you know, writers for Huffington Post and BuzzFeed. And, and so that's just sort of like naturally by, you know, and, and this American life, I photographed Hourglass and his dog unknowingly. Just sort of by the, the, the nature of being in New York and mm-hmm. photographing in New York, you're really surrounded by influential people and their dogs. <laughs> and, you know, no one was... Uh, Sort of the, the, the signature of my images is that it feels like the dogs know that they're having their photo taken. Yeah. So it, it personifies them and anthropomorphizes them more than we already do. And to have a picture of that is kind of a, it, it sort of like closes the loop a little bit. Yeah. And, to, and to put them in front of, um, you know, what was initially, you know, 10,000 people or fewer and today, to put that in front of, you know, 2 million people, I'm, you know, making their dog famous for 15 minutes or four <laughs> hours. <laughs> you, you've mentioned that uh, there's a unique relationship that New Yorkers have with their, with their dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe what that is and, and how you perceive that as being very different from what you've seen elsewhere, like in Los Angeles or, or wherever else you've traveled? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think... Uh, New York can be a lonely place, you know. You, it's a, it's you can be lonely in a crowded place, and uh, you know you're busy working all day, and it can be stressful. But to come home to a friendly face that's smiling and wagging its tail at you and can't wait to see you is a special relationship and something a lot of people, you know, live for. You know, and uh, you know, it, it, in New York, people have that relationship, but. In, in other parts of the country where they're hanging out with their dogs all the time, you know, maybe they, they work with their dog, they're hunters, they're, they go to therapy dogs, they, they work with dogs at shelters, um, you know, it's, it's more of like your buddy or it, it changes a little bit. And, you know, it's always, there's always tons of overlap in the way that, you know, your relationship with, with dogs is. But, you know, in L.A., the dog's in the car with you all the time, whereas in New York, it's more your your family that you get to come home to, I think. You, you, you feel like it's that feeling of, of isolation is just more prevalent in, in New York than it is elsewhere, and that's why people have, they gravitate so, so strongly to animals? I think just the nature of New York is that everyone is very professionally focused. You know, they're working all day, mm-hmm. busy. You know, it's, it's that city. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was interesting statistic that 
after 9-11, the population of dogs basically doubled in New York uh, wow. because people, I think, were just, you know, screw it. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm, what am I waiting for? I, I, want, I want a dog. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's also hard to have kids and a family in New York, in New York so having a dog is slightly easier Maybe not cheaper, but yeah. Was, you know, as you mentioned before, um, you're unemployed at the time. And so, mm -hmm. so much of people's identity is with what they do in That's New right. York. Um, was that um, particularly a difficult time for you, considering that you didn't have a, you know, a job that you could lay claim to? Um, especially when yeah. people are really always oftentimes sort of gauging you by by what you're doing and the last thing that you did. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, it was scary, but I've always been sort of entrepreneurial and my, my mother particularly was also uh, sort of a hustler, entrepreneurial style. And I had surrounded myself with people in the city who were in the startup scene and were very like tech savvy internet creators of the internet. So I, I had, sort of primed myself to be in a position to be supported in, in my project. You know, if I was, if all my friends were working nine to fives, then I probably would have gone back to it. But to have that sort of fire in your eyes, like I'm going to create the next big thing and surrounding yourself with that attitude is what sort of gave, encouraged me to see it through. And, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the first thing I did, you know, I, was working for a company called We Follow with my buddies, and we sold that. So I was like, all right, I like this lifestyle of being somewhat autonomous and not having to go work at a desk every day. Um, and then after that, you know, I decided I still didn't want a real job, so I, I started a show called Barking at Dogs, um, where we'd interview people's dogs on world news and topical issues. It's sort of a web <laughs> comedy series. But it was, you know, it's, it's harder to put out video content every day um, and it was a little bit sort of invasive about, you know, you're going on the streets and getting dogs riled up and barking and some people weren't, weren't as excited about that. Um, but there, you know, a few of my like key friends were, had that same sort of craziness that I wanted, you know, that like, yeah, do it, man, do it. You know, it's a ridiculous idea, but you know, it's the, what's the Steve job quote, you know, it's the crazy ones that change the world. Hmm. So you, so you were intentional about all of this from the very beginning. Yes, I think uh, I knew it was a good idea, <laughs> and uh, it was the right time. I think for Instagram and you know with Humans of New York, what Brandon Stanton was doing, and uh, what Scott Schumann of the Sartorialist was doing. You know, and I wasn't the first person to have the idea of you know there's like Dogs of New York and other projects, but no one the 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 difference, at least metaphorically for me, was the knee pads. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Is that no one was, and still today, no one uh, is sort of committed or like focused enough on the, the whole idea of photographing dogs properly to photograph them properly. You know, they, you have to be on their level. And the only way to get on their level every time is to, be, is to wear knee pads, essentially. And I, I, I wear them under my pants so I don't look ridiculous. How quickly did you realize that knee pads were going to be a requirement of this job? Uh, <laughs> pretty quickly. You know, I started as like volleyball knee pads and then worked my way up to, you know, 
tactical, the best ones. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Those are pretty serious looking. What, what, what kind are they? Where, where did you pick those up? They're called uh, Alta. They're, you know, SWAT team style. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It's just, you know, it, I, uh, trial and error. You, you, uh, you try and it's like, oh, I'm sore after this, after today. You figure this out. And then the shoes are equally as important too because you're, you know, you're on your toes and you're, and you're walking around all day and you have some extra weight from the camera and you're in dog parks that are, they're dusty and there's all kinds of dirt and slobber and the pants are, are clutched too. So it's like I've sort of donned this suit that when I put on changes my mindset and puts me in gear type of thing. So it's, so there are so many dogs in New York. How do you sort of decide, you know, what dogs you're you're going to photograph? Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking for something that stands out. So you know, it, that can mean the the crazy rare breed. You know, the the Klein Munsterlander and the Giant Schnauzer and the Borzoi. You know, the dogs that it's like I've never even heard of that. But you also take a little white fluffy dog that you might not otherwise notice and you put a bow tie on him and all of a sudden he's more interesting than all those fancy breeds. So it really depends on what, <laughs> what it looks like. You know, and obviously, um, as a photographer, I'm looking for visual interests and things that, <laughs> where you just like have to say, Oh my God, look at that a haircut, funny expression, uh, a funny like mixed breed where you have, you know, a breed, you know, what's funny always is the, a large breed that they bred with a, like a dwarf breed, like a dachshund or a corgi, and you have this like miniature version of a larger breed, and it always makes people like you know they love that. It's it's a it's a spectacle. You you seem to carry an arsenal of toys with you mm -hmm. um, to hold the dog's attention. How did how did that come about? Because it seems to be a requirement of uh, of of the job. Yeah, well, it's it's really the the tried and true tennis ball that squeaks is the toy that and you know it's in one pocket, and then I have that's like the first go to. I want the dog's attention, but then I have uh, treats in the other pocket. So if the dog's not interested in the toy for whatever reason, there usually uh, you just you know graze the treat by their nose and have their attention. And if not, if if that doesn't work, then I start making weird noises like <laughs> and <laughs> it works it works for people too <laughs> and uh that's sort of you're, you're basically just trying to create a moment of of attention and and you know you want them to look right at you and that is that's what i do it's like and and it can be that the first moment and they and then they lose interest but to, that's that's sort of my my goal is to have have this uh moment with them every time yeah you just mentioned it before we, we started recording here about the fact that it was a sunny day out there and that you're going to have to look for for shade mm -hmm. um you're shooting primarily with available light so mm -hmm. tell me about some of the considerations that you're making when you see a dog and you're in a location where you know you're not bringing lighting or scrims or anything mm -hmm. what are the what are the things that you have to consider in terms of lighting in terms of background whether or not to include the subject in terms of making your your photographs mm-hmm well, lighting-wise, it's you know I'm looking for even lights so that you don't get harsh shadows uh, across the dog, and you know with digital, you it's easy to blow out the highlights. So yeah, I love shooting on overcast days, and it's funny like 
in New York, you have buildings everywhere. And so half the city during the day is shaded and the other half of the street is, has sunlight on it. So uh, I like to think, like, I always, I always shoot half the city at a time. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's always on the shaded side. And sometimes I look across the street and I see a dog. I'm like, well, they're not on the right side today. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, and then, you know, the, the, the lensing is also interesting, you know, um, the classic street millimeters, 35 millimeters, where you sort of, it's sort of flat, but uh, you get a bigger perspective of, of where you are. And you can work with people walking around you, and you can, the working distance is, is pretty manageable versus an 85 where you're like, hey, you know, you know people are waiting to cross. You're, mm-hmm. You have like eight feet to work with. Um, so I usually shoot wide from the street. So 35, 24, I also like to go, I have an ultra wide 14 to 24. Um, and that allows you to sort of get in there, interact with the dog a little bit more. And, and what's also nice about shooting dogs is that you can distort them, you know, you can make them, their features stretched out. You can have the, the nose, their snout come out here and, and <laughs> their eyes are over here and it, they'll never look at the picture and say, I don't like that. So I, I also like that about what I do is that the, I get to experiment with perspectives and some dogs look more formal and some dogs look more goofy, but you know, it's, it's, it's all, everyone loves it regardless. You mentioned before that people, you know, like to use their dogs as a means by which they can connect with other people. Mm-hmm. When you started out and you started approaching people about photographing their dogs, especially in New York, did you find that people were pretty open to it? Were they resistant to it? How, how was that experience as compared to now? Yeah, well, I think generally dog people, if you have a dog, you have a dog because you want some, you know, you want to be somewhat more social than you were before. Uh, you know, you're, you're, everyone wants to pet the dogs that are walking by. It's, it's nothing new for someone to be like, can I take a photo of your dog? I think what was uh, novel to them was that I was, you know, on the ground with a DSLR with a squeak toy and getting their dog's attention more than they ever could. <laughs> and then, and then sort of giving them a card and saying that their dog was going to be featured on something potentially. But yeah, people were very welcoming of it. Uh, and they still are, I'd say nine and a half times out of 10. Uh, it's yeah, sure. And they're confused maybe, but you know, the other thing is that in the village now I'm sort of a figure where, People are waiting for their moment, and they say, are you the dogist? <laughs> <laughs> does that awareness, does that awareness of who you are at this point, you know, because of the popularity of the blog, of the press that you've received uh, before, make it easier or harder for you to do what you want to do? Uh, both. You know, sometimes I'm, I, I'm like pacing outside of the uh, dog park, and I'm like, well, I want that dog, but I know that if I go in there and I start shooting that, a number of the other owners are going to come up to me and say, "Hey, I love your work. Could you, could you do Foofy right now?" <laughs> mm. And uh, I'm like, "Okay." And I usually will oblige them, but whenever it's it's sort of forced or or you know, it's not it doesn't organically happen. The images aren't usually as good because when when I'm just choosing my own subjects, I'm seeing something that's visually you know interesting and. 
uh, you know, that like the, their eyes are very, you know, prominent and, uh, and, and then I'm not, I don't feel pressured also to publish it if I don't get a, right. a good image. And that's sort of the, the nature of, of being an artist is I get to choose my subjects and pick what gets published. So I always like to keep it sort of organic and I, obviously I still have that control, but obviously as a figure now and, and think uh, something that people get excited about and you know that they're, they love their dogs and they, they want to have, they want to be part of the club, the dog is club mm-hmm. and, and have the picture. So I feel that pressure sometimes. I was having a conversation with a photographer friend of mine recently about how I find guests for the show. And I told them that my process is a pretty simple one. I subscribe to numerous blogs and RSS feeds. I read newspaper and magazine articles, making notes of people that are of interest, usually people who are producing interesting bodies of work or have an interesting story to tell. But the one thing that I always do is go to their website because it's their website that I hope will provide a fuller sense of who they are and what they do. Most days, I'm happy with what I find. But on other days, I'm left disappointed. Not because the work isn't good, but because the website is so bad or there's no website at all. And that's important to me, because I know that when I interview a guest, when you have the chance, it's their website where you are going to go to find out more about the photographer. The photographer has to be pretty exceptional for me to seriously consider showcasing them on the show if they have a lackluster or no website presence at all. That's why I believe having a good website is so important to a photographer, whether they are a professional or an enthusiast. Your website is your calling card, and the world is now your audience. Photographs are meant to be viewed and experienced by more than just the photographer and his or her immediate circle of friends. It's the means by which you communicate, and Squarespace provides you the perfect soapbox with beautiful and easy-to-use templates to make your website easy to view on a computer, tablet, or phone. But find out for yourself how great your photographs can look on a Squarespace website. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. So how do you contend with the, with the person who, who you've photographed their dogs and uh, they're expecting it to be on the, on the site and then they start sending you messages going, you know, when are you going to put up my picture of Poofy? <laughs> yeah, where's my dog? <laughs> yeah, you know, I... You know, I'm I'm good at what I do usually. So I photograph if I if I do photograph your dog, I'm gonna get a shot that I'm gonna use. But yeah, it happens that uh, I don't get a shot that I'm happy with, and I'm happy to send them images of their dog, and that's that's good consolation, right? Um, you know, I think a lot of the times people assume that you know photographers, you know, it's just just come and take a couple pictures. It's it's and you know do it for free. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's my work. This is what I do. It's what I love to do, and it in a way I I do it for free. But it's my time is valuable, and I I take what I do seriously. And it's it's the whole project has sort of transcended me as an artist. You know, people assume it's they. Oh, they're they're uh, in California this week. Like no, I am. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, although it is it is they because I've I've hired assistant now and she helps with coordinating everything and making the whole thing easier and better. Some of the work that you've done uh, has been with with shelters mm-hmm. and uh, getting uh, dogs uh, adopted, and you've mm-hmm. proven to be very successful at, at that. How did that start playing a role in what you were doing? Yeah, well, um, you know, the whole mission of the project is to tell the story of dogs, and you know, I quickly realized on photographing dogs on the street that a lot of them come from shelters, and it, you know, there are so many dogs. Uh, obviously, that are abandoned for whatever reason, and end up in these various shelters. Uh, you know, there are dozens of them around the city, uh, shelters and rescue groups, and that is an important piece of what I do is to tell that story and, and make people aware of sort of the plight of pit bulls, and you know, realizing that if they're going to get a dog, they should consider these dogs that are in need of help. And obviously, you know, with my reach, and it can be a very effective way for these organizations to get exposure and for these dogs to have uh, a much better chance of uh, getting out of there. And I think these shelters do a great job of making their the dogs as happy as possible, but still, it's, it's, a, it's not the way dogs are meant to live. <laughs> when, you, when, you started the, uh, um, when you started the whole project, did you have sort of an end game? in terms of what you were hoping to do um, uh, with it. And uh, you said initially you knew that it would be successful. But when you were sort of thinking about how you wanted this to sort of manifest it's manifest itself beyond, you know, getting a lot of follower, followers, did you have a, a plan in mind in terms of what you wanted the outcome to be? Well, you know, I think, you know, the dream is to, as a photographer, is to travel and photograph and be your own boss and support yourself doing it. So that was the initial goal was, how do I do that? And, have, you know, have fun. You know, it's like everyone says, oh, you have the best job. And I'm like, yeah, I, kinda, I think I do. <laughs> it's exactly what I would be doing if I had all the money, you know, traveling and, and hanging with dogs. So that was, that was the goal. And the, the way I saw that uh, playing out was that, well, I need to make money to support myself and people I hire and travel and things you need, obviously. And, uh, you know, that was, that meant growing a following and publishing this stuff and creating books. Um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's fulfilling, you know, doing that, you know, regardless of the money, because people, you have to, I feel celebrated about what I'm doing, but yeah, I think at this point, I'm close to three years into the project and I'm making enough to support myself and also invest in the future of the doggist. So that means bringing people on to help me find these interesting stories and travel with me. And I, have, I haven't, you know, asked to find a contributing photographer yet. Uh, and I think that won't happen for a while. But uh, I am interested in uh, integrating video and audio and because dog movement, you know, Excuse me. Dogs in action is uh, is part of the story too, especially if they're working dogs. Yeah. How how do you earn a living from doing uh, the doggers? I mean, you mentioned that you know you building a following is an important part of it, but building a following in and of itself doesn't lead automatically to revenue. So what what you've mentioned the fact that you've published the book, but well, mm-hmm. 
you know, what are the means by which you're able to, to earn a living? Because New York is not a, a cheap place to live. Right. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, as, as an influencer uh, with more than 2 million followers, people, uh, you know, brands, companies, dog brands want to associate and advertise, essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at any company today and there's commercials involve a dog in some way. It's very like versatile. You, know, you can put a dog on it, and it makes it ten times better. I, I, my, I have a manager now who started a company recently called the Dog Agency. We were featured in the Wall Street Journal recently. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's essentially, you know, Trina, BarkBox, Dog Vacay, all these like companies that have a product, and I can they send me some one of their products and I can go photograph a dog using it or doing something with it. Google sent me a, a phone case that had a picture of mine on it. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I'll post it and it's sort of once in a while, but that's what it doesn't, it doesn't sort of feel so invasive. It's on brand. Mm -hmm. It's, it, that sort of, it, it passes the cool test and, uh, it helps support the project and it helps me grow the whole thing. So it's not like blatant promotion. It's just sort of on the periphery. It's not, it's not a picture of dog food, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with a cold background. It's, it's my, it's me creating something that, that has this product integrated in some way. I'm shooting it. I'm, you know, it's a dog, you know, having fun. It's a dog wearing sunglasses and then they call it an ad for a sunglass company. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it feels fun and that's, if, if if I'm not having fun doing it, then I won't I won't you know sign up for it. Did you know uh, that 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 that's the way you wanted to do it from the very beginning? Because I think initially when you start um, um, soliciting advertising, they always have sort of a criteria that they would like. Um, but did you know from the very beginning that no, if I I'm going to do it this way, and if they're on board with it, great. But if not, then we'll take a pass. Yeah. Well, the. Um if, if you have options to choose from and then you get to make the decisions, you know, I can pass on things that I'm interested in and I, I'm, I'm in a good position to be making those decisions. And, and the people generally respect, uh, my artistic vision of it. You know, they say, we just, we want you, we want you to do something and, and, uh, with our product and a dog. And I mean, it's a pretty simple formula relatively. Mm -hmm. What can go wrong? You know, and I, sometimes I'll send it to them before and they say, oh, we love it. Great. So, yeah, it's not it's actually not that challenging making it work. Uh, the challenging thing is negotiating contracts. And luckily, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Obviously, you were doing it on your own before. What, how did you that could be quite kind of nerve wracking um, when you're facing yeah. that for the first time. Tell me how you how well, how you dealt with that. It's like pricing is is the hard part, because what is the price you know, it's like unprecedented for what is my brand worth what does it mean to be featured on the blog you know i post four dogs a day what is that you know it's arbitrary mm -hmm. um and you just have to see what other people are doing but yeah that's for that's for my my agent my manager to figure out and she's been doing it for a while and she's doing an excellent job and and she's brought in this revenue stream that wasn't there before and that's allowing me to improve the whole project and um, you know my, my publishing career uh, I'm working on my second book now which is about puppies 
Um, but that, that sort of supports me. Uh, but to take things to the next level and build the brand out even more requires that, that other stream, I think. And uh, she's much better at it than I am. Yeah. You must get some interesting reactions from people that you meet who ask you what you do. Because especially in the city of New York, it's about who you, you know, what you do and who you work for, right? Right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of prestige that's sort of uh, attached to that and a lot of assessment about you as a person as a result of that. So what what, what are some of the reactions that you get from people when they ask you, uh, what do you do for a living? And how do you, (laughs) how do you, how do you answer that question? (laughs) Well, a lot of people think it's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) They say, ha, what do you really do? Nope, that's what I do. I mean, honestly, half the time they already follow me and they, they, they totally get it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've sort of been asked so many times and I just sort of, I photograph dogs for a living (laughs) and they say, how do you, how do you, and you can tell that they have a, they, the, uh, they doubt the legitimacy of it and like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just another photographer's project that hasn't taken off. The business card is important. I have like. A, a nice letter pressed, simple, elegant business card. And I say, Oh, anyone, you know, this, this is indicative of something more interesting, I think. And then, and then, you know, uh, sometimes I have to say, Oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, how many followers do you have? Like 2 million. And then they say, Oh, okay. This is <laughs> slightly more interesting than otherwise have thought. Uh, and you know, the fact that I'm, uh, New York Times bestselling author is a cool badge too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm humble about it, and there's nothing glamorous about my job, believe me, as a dog photographer. But um, it's it's been a funny experiment, and girls like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a dog? I don't right now. I, um, you know, sort of this like catch twenty two thing where it's like if I had my own dog, I would be less <laughs> inclined every day to go out and chase other people's dogs. You know, I think initially I, I started the project because I missed having a dog. You know, I grew up with like five dogs around the house. My family still has goldens and poodles, but you know, I, I for the same reasons I don't have a kid right now. I don't have a dog, and for better or worse, you know, I have times when I feel lonely about that. Um, and that's fine. I have plenty of friends who can, uh, you know, alleviate that. Yeah. I think if I had a dog, I, would, I wouldn't travel as much. But, you know, I, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> well, considering that you meet so many dogs, so many breeds, so many times. I have all the dogs, yes. Yeah, so do you have a, when you think about the day when you'd finally choose a dog, what, what kind of dog would you, would you want to have? And I'm not so much asking in terms of breed, mm-hmm. but in terms of sort of temperament, what mm-hmm. kind of dog would, would be ideal question. for the doggest? Uh, I think like me, um, smart, but not too smart, like, <laughs> um, you know, goofy, uh, you know, it's always the, the lab comes to mind. I know you didn't say what breed, but you know, whereas you have a shepherd that figures things out on their own and it's like, it'll, it'll teach itself things that you didn't want it to learn the lab mentality or like the, the retriever really is very just sort of, you teach me and I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'll be happy to do it every time. And I'll do it all day. So that's sort of like the, the happy-go-lucky attitude that I like 
you know, that's sort of what I aspire to is to be happy every day and make other people happy. And a dog that, you know, your, uh, your dog is a reflection of you in many ways. So I think that's the, that's the, the, the type of dog I want is, uh, a dog that has a positive disposition, is friendly, and hopefully handsome. <laughs> well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Um, top of mind, it's uh, Tim Flack. And I actually have his book right here. <laughs> More My than human. Gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, this guy. Uh, he does studio work with animals, and he just like he captures the same sort of moment, if you will, of that connection where it feels like this formal portrait, and and it feels more human, and it feels more like that the the animal is looking directly at you. So I I totally admire. Uh, you know, there's tons and tons of animal photographers, and I'm always like, you know, oh, the dog is not even looking at the camera. Or like, I bet he couldn't even. <laughs> but Tim Flack gets it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, thank you so much for making time for me this morning. I really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure to to, uh, to talk with you and, and continued success on, on the dogist. Thank you so much. I, uh, I appreciate your, your having me on the show. Thanks again for joining me. Please remember that you do make a huge difference to our show. Take the time today to write a five-star review in the iTunes store. Thanks to Andy McVoto in Belgium, Low4Web in France, and J10163 in Australia for their five-star reviews. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. You can contribute amounts of $2, $5, $10 or more, or anything in between on a monthly basis and help make a big difference to the work that we do here at TCF. Visit patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame, or you'll find the link in the show notes and The Candid Frame website. I'd like to thank all the people who have recently contributed to the effort, which include Cheryl Hannah Truscott, Publius Jones, Werg Wenzil Werser, and Linda Marshall. We appreciate you becoming a part of what we're doing here at TCF. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. Our senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.